The Playful Psychologist podcast is hosted by me, Emily Hanlon, a clinical psychologist who primarily works with children and adolescents. This podcast has been designed to offer support to new psychologists who may feel as though they are drowning in uncertainty. It has also been designed to inform and educate parents and teachers on all things child development. Along with some special guests, I explore different aspects of child development, including developmental disorders and emotional regulation, while also advocating for those who may be falling through the cracks in our current system. Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of The Playful Psychologist. I'm so excited today because I got I have a really awesome um, guest who's going to help me talk about raising sensitive kids. And you may have seen me on Instagram, tag her in a bunch of things and share a lot of her stuff because I'm just in awe of a lot of the stuff that she posts. It's so cool. So um, Jackie from The Brave Space, welcome. Thank you so much for being on today. Thanks, Emily. It's so nice to finally be here after weeks of... Planning and rescheduling and we're here, we've done it. I know, how fun are kids, hey? Right. <laughs> so um, why don't you start off by telling everyone a little bit about yourself and like the work that you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name's Jackie Ward and as Emily mentioned, my business is called The Brave Space. Um, I guess most importantly, I'm a mum myself. I have three little ones aged six, five and 18 months. And when I'm not busy mumming them, I am completing my studies. I'm a provisional psychologist working towards my full registration. And through my business, The Brave Space, my my main area of interest is supporting mums who are raising highly sensitive, strong-willed, quirky, challenging, gorgeous little souls that need a bit of extra support. Mm. I think that's so awesome because I feel like, especially now with social media, um, a lot of mums can feel really isolated if if their kids mm. aren't, you know, quote unquote, acting or behaving like they should sort of thing. And everyone, yeah, I think I, I definitely think in society we've come a long way when it comes to accepting differences, but I still think we have quite a long way to go. So I think that's awesome. Um mm that you do what you do, even as a provisional psych. I can't believe all the stuff you do and you study. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) God. Um, So the reason I wanted to chat about this today is I had a really interesting experience with my little ones and it was the first time this had happened to me and I got really like frustrated. So are we, my little one's been doing swimming lessons since he was about 10 weeks old. He loves it. And I decided to just try a new swimming school. Um, so brand new environment. We get there. Um, I'm about to get in the water with him, like pop him on the side like we always do. And the swimming instructor, without warning, without asking me, without anything, just uh, like kind of tore him from my arms mm-hmm. and placed him in the pool. And obviously he screamed. He'd never met the lady before. There was no warning that it was going to happen. Um, it was a brand brand new environment. He flipped out and she eventually like gave him back to me. And I was like, Oh, you know, trying to calm him down. And she just kept saying for the whole half an hour swimming lesson, Oh, he's a bit of a mummy's boy. Isn't he? Oh, it's okay. It's okay to be a mummy's boy. And using that sort of language. And I was like, are you serious? You you ripped my child, my, my <laughs> one-year-old from my arms oh, with no warning. He doesn't know you. I'm actually really proud that he had that response. Um, yeah. And that he won't let a stranger just pick him up and walk or swim. Start, oh, crazy. It, it was really frustrating and I and in the moment I didn't really know like how to respond to her 
without losing my cool. So I thought it would be a really cool um, opportunity to, given the work that you do to have you on to maybe answer some questions for other mums that might be in similar situations with, again, quote unquote, sensitive children. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So much to talk about. I wow. know, seriously. So let's start off with some questions. So I, this is a really um, interesting one. What advice do you give mums who have a child who may need like a little bit of extra attention or a bit of support, but may not necessarily have a formal diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think I love this question because I think so many mums find themselves in this situation and it can be overwhelming and confusing. Mm, And especially if you have a a young child who is, you know, the majority of the families I work with, it's that naught to seven. Yeah. And you're figuring everything out, right? You're Mm. figuring out yourself and your your relationship with them and trying to figure out how to best support them. Mm. So I think the most important piece of advice is to follow your instincts. Yeah, that's great. It can be really easy to listen to the cultural messaging out there or the direct messaging we get from Mm. friends, perhaps other mums, our own mums, anyone else that's in your circle because everyone's going to have an opinion but when it comes down to it you are the person that best understands that little human Mm. and so I think it's good if you can just be conscious of it's difficult but yeah you know be conscious of trying to block out all that noise and listen to what your instinct is telling you. I think diagnoses um, the beauty of them is that they can give so much reassurance because when we have a clear um, picture of Mm -hmm. of what might be happening with somebody, it can give us some really great guidance as to the best way to support them, what they need, and and there's beauty in that, right? But I think sometimes when we don't have a particular label but undoubtedly something is there that needs support, it can be a little bit more confusing. So the best way to start this is to, to tune into your instincts and to your little person um, and honour the fact that, yeah, they may be operating, their brain may be wired slightly differently than their peers or other kids, um, and that's not a bad thing. It just means that there's a bit of detective work to be done there in terms of what they need. Yeah, I think that's so important. And on the note that you said, like, you know, trying to block out that noise, I think, again, I know I just harped on about it before, but social media can be a really tricky place like that. I know I've got friends that if you just looked at their Instagram page, you'd be like, my God, like they have it all together how are they doing this with their kids like I'm struggling with one how is she managing two under two sort of thing like like she needs a medal and then I'll I'll ask like how are you and they'll be like yeah good how are you and I'll be like oh I've actually had a really crap week with the baby sort of thing and they'll go oh me too and I'm like Mm. why are we still at that stage where we can't be open and we can't be honest so if you are a mum that you know is having a little bit of difficulty, I think one of the biggest pieces of advice, which a lot of people say these days, but we need to reiterate is just don't trust everything that you see on social media. It's never as perfect as it is. On Absolutely. I saw this meme once and it, or not a meme, but like a little Instagram quote. Yeah. And it said, mums that admit they love their kids, but also that this she's is hard and my kind of mums <laughs> yeah. and I was like yeah my type of mums too that's me because it's, it's so hard true. like there's it's the most beautiful amazing thing but it is also undoubtedly the hardest thing I've ever done too legit legit it's the it, it is you're so right it's hard. and every time you think like okay we're getting through it they're like surprise regression surprise broken my nose <laughs> exactly exactly insane oh my god so what are some of the best ways in your opinion do you believe that parents can really get in touch with their child's feelings and help support the needs that their child has 
Yeah. I think that the um, most effective way to do this, um, it sounds just intuitive, but let's mm. just you know, sort of spell it out, is to spend quality time with them playing yeah. and make that, that play child-led. So mm. the temptation as adults, and I am so guilty of this myself, is we sit down to play with an agenda. We want to teach mm-hmm. them something. We want yeah. to show them how this particular game is done. But with young children, if you sit down with them and, and have open-ended play where they are basically left to direct the play, that is where those golden opportunities come where you're going to really get to know that that little person and mm. um, their preferences and their thinking styles. And I think that's a really golden opportunity to um, be learning about them. And then, of course, it's just in those, those less than magic day-to-day experiences <laughs> of life where, you know, basically we've got to be there I think our role as parents is to become really fluent in our children because they've yeah. all got their own little style. Yeah, so it's sure. just really observing them, what the struggles are, the things they find difficult, the things that bring them joy because they may not be the things that we think they might be. Yeah, absolutely. Sense. Absolutely. I think that's so important. You posted something really like insightful on Instagram yesterday about how um, play is so important and how like yeah. the benefits of play later on in life and how we have to like try really hard. You know, it's it's hard not to read a book with your child and just let them flip through the pages, but you're like, no, but we're not finished the story. Or like, <laughs> you know, just play with the blocks without labeling the colors nonstop. I do that all the time. I'm like, this is a red block. Let's put the, <laughs> just give me the block, mum. Like give me the block. <laughs> so me too I really have to bite my tongue yeah. um and be aware of it and like I'm trying to turn everything into a teaching opportunity I but know. sometimes there is just so much beauty to be had in just sitting down and, and playing so Absolutely. yeah it's good to be aware of yeah yeah you're so right and it's funny because I I've actually found so um in the last week when we've spent a lot of time at home because of sickness or whatever, I found that the more play that I, like I'll just set up things, but I'll leave them there. I won't direct him to them and he'll go to them and he'll show me, like you said, he'll show me what he wants to play with and he'll he'll play with it for an hour if it's what he wants to play with. But if I try and force an activity that he's just frankly not interested in, it's over in five minutes and then he's getting irritable because he's transitioning too much and he can't figure out what he wants. So spot on there. I think so it's interesting. Yeah. And it, it's a lot easier said than done, right? Like it sounds so simple, like just sit down and let them play. Okay. Like mm. what mm. did I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, actually what you just said, that reminds me, that's a really good mum hack. Often people say to me, you know, I just need 10 minutes to make breakfast or whatever mm. it is they need to do. How can I encourage my children to play independently? Mm. And I forget who it was. Someone taught me this. A really good mum hack is when they go to bed at night, um, just set up a couple of little open-ended sort of stations or, you know, mm. put toys in a different area where they normally would be, something that simple. Yeah. Um, and what you'll find is when your children come, wake in the morning and come out, that's like a new discovery for them, yeah, even if it's so the same toys in a different location or set up in a different way. And so that's a really good way to encourage that that beautiful independent. Yeah, way. and it's a, it's a really good way to like obviously like every child is going to watch a screen at some point in their lives probably, but it's a good way to like not necessarily always rely on screen time, I guess, and set up different activities so that you can get that 10 minutes without having to flip on the wiggles and, and that sort yeah, of thing. True, so, true. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are some of the ways then, like if we're looking at the classroom and how kids that don't have a diagnosis but may need a little bit of extra emotional social support, what kind of things can we do to support them at, in school and in the classroom? 
Yeah, good one. So I think the first thing that's always to be done um, with your little one, if you feel that this is them, that they need some extra support in the classroom, um, is to have a meeting with their teacher. Often parents feel that that is like a uh, something that they, they're not sure if they can do mm. or if it's appropriate or not, but I would absolutely encourage everyone to do that because there's a whole lot of things that can happen um, in the classroom, just little tweaks that can be made mm. to best support them. So, you know, for example, one thing that I know my child's class teacher put into place for him, which has been so great. So um, he has a tendency to become overwhelmed in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, So she just, this was her doing, not mine, but it was brilliant. Just a simple little card, like a business card size, Mm -hmm. size. Um, One side is red, one side is green. It sits Mm -hmm. on his desk with the green side up to indicate everything is a-okay and Mm -hmm. he's learning and feeling comfortable. If he becomes overwhelmed, rather than getting up and running out of the classroom or becoming disruptive to his classmates, he knows just to flip that card over to the red side, which is a subtle little sign to his Mm, teacher that he's struggling, that that he needs extra support. Now he's um, six, almost Mm -hmm. seven. So in year one, even at that age, um, yeah, he has the ability just to be able to, to flip that over and get the support he needs. So that's just one little strategy, but there's a whole lot of things. Teachers, I think these days, are really clever and open many mm. of them to this, um, these additional support needs. So have a discussion with them. Yeah, I think that's so important. And often it, you're so right. It's it's like a little classroom tweak it, with these these types of kids that we're talking about that don't have a diagnosis that aren't necessarily overly disruptive but do need a bit of emotional support. It's it's a tiny tweak that is so subtle and is going to take so much um, like such minimal effort. You know every day but really sets the teacher and the students up for success later down the track and really avoids you know what may be a little bit of a meltdown or what may be a big emotional outburst and that sort of thing so I always say when I'm trying to explain a a strategy to a school or a teacher it may be a little bit it's like long to long-term gain for a little bit of short-term like effort sort of thing Um, and I yeah I really try and explain it like that because it may seem like a little bit of um you know bit of trouble now but wow it'll save you a lot of trouble in the future yeah which is going to have benefits for not only that individual Mm. child but his classmates the teacher too like everyone one of the kids I worked with um once this I was I loved this idea he had a hard time sitting still at a desk Mm. right so super common right this is probably going to be an example that will be relevant for lots of kids Mm. so he was constantly fidgeting that ended up you know escalating into disruptive behaviors to his peers whatnot and the OT that was in our team suggested you know the therabands that you use at Pilates Okay, so she just popped that around the legs of his chair and then bounce his legs. I was like, that is brilliant because he could direct all that, that, you know, additional energy into just bouncing his legs that was silent. It didn't Mm. disrupt his classmates. It was happening under the table and he was able to focus in on learning, which I thought that was brilliant. It's so good. Hey, I like that one and um, like a yoga cushion on the chair so they can kind of rock back back to uh, side to side are two of my most suggested strategies for classrooms. And it's really interesting. A lot of the time teachers or schools, um, you know, the support coordination officers and that sort of thing are super aware of the cushions, but the um, band on the chair is something that that I think is only coming to be more common now and it's such a cheap and effective strategy and often I find more beneficial than the cushion because the cushion can become a weapon or a drum (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah it like stays there and it's just for the feet the hands don't have to get involved it's such a uh, that's just again such a good example of a simple um inexpensive 
useful, effective strategy mm. that can be implemented mm. into the class. And that's also really subtle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there's always yeah. that element of it too. Some kids will find that, that makes them feel special to have these accommodations yeah. where they might be resistant to being different from their peers. So Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it definitely is all about trying to figure out the personality of the child as well. Like I've gone to school visits before where the mum or the dad have been really nervous about um, the child feeling overwhelmed by me being there or, um, you know, and I always have this spiel where I ask the teacher to introduce me as someone that's there to just observe the class and to help Mm. the teacher. Um, But then, you know, sometimes it's the kids the parents are most worried about that waltz into the classroom and they're like, this is my psychologist. And (laughs) So I guess it's all about just trying to figure the, the child out as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> so funny. Oh, dear. Well, okay, so what about then, like what advice do you have for parents who are feeling really overwhelmed with their child's behaviour and just feel like really stuck or at a loss as to what to yes. do? My please do not suffer in silence on your own at home. It's so isolating. And then you end up having this double isolation effect because Mm. perhaps as a result of your child's behaviours or, you know, however it's manifesting for them, they're going to feel disconnected from peers. And the worst thing that can happen is if you sort of shut down and then you feel disconnected too. That's not what you want. So I think reach out, whether it's to somebody like yourself, Emily, who is so equipped to support the child and the family as well. Mm. Um, if it's not at the at the point that you feel you need to seek advice from a psychologist, there's some great books. Mm. The one I recommend okay. all the time is The Highly Sensitive Child by yeah. Elaine Aron. Mm-hmm. So brilliant. Um, if if it's a sensitivity thing, if your child experiences anxiety, there's there's just some really great resources yeah. can be found through following people like yourself, Emily, on Instagram. The <laughs> books that you share, I love your, I like pretty much add to cart every time I see you <laughs> suggest a book. So you're costing me a fortune, but I'm going to break free. I think, yeah, following people, being being selective with who you follow, I think yeah, is key. Agree. There's a lot of noise out there. Yeah. Um, so just resist the temptation to hit follow on everybody that's offering up advice. Absolutely. Look for people like Emily that are, you know, experienced, wow. qualified, you know, with the quality information because it can be sometimes, you know, just one post can mm. really um, change a lot of things for you. So reach out. Basically. Yeah, I totally agree. I very early on, it, no, before I had Luca, just before he was born, I followed a bunch of like, basically put mum into Instagram search and whatever popped up I followed at that point. And yeah. about three months after he was born, I think I unfollowed about 95% of those pages because a lot of them were so unhelpful. A lot of them were like um, trying to trying to do a positive thing but really isolating to my personal experience or saying that, you know, what I had decided to do, which I which was best and I firmly believe was best for me and my child at the time, was going to damage them or he was going to have insecure attachment and all this stuff and then would, you know, almost like shame you in into doing what they they then suggest or what they then sell. And I think mm. it is so important, like you said, follow the Instagram page. Pages, but follow the ones that are aligned with what you genuinely in your gut feel is best for your child and reach out. And if you do need to seek support from an OT or a, or a speech pathologist or a psychologist, who cares? Like that's so awesome right. that you are like taking that step to get support for your child. The earlier you get support, the better. And I think thankfully there is a lot less stigma associated with getting allied health help for children these days, which I think yes. is, is a, is a great step in the right direction. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because the relief that comes through working with the right person, we call them yeah. our little team. So my yeah. kids, I've got the three and through their short lives, we already have worked with speeches, OT and a psychologist. Yeah. And so they're our little family village team, yeah, you know, sure. so the relief that comes when a professional understands your child, understands you and can offer practical support is just second to none. So that is something I will always encourage. Yeah, so so true. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about the um, services you offer in regards to yeah. you have like a parenting course or something, don't I you? I do. I do. So what I offer is I offer one-to-one support for anyone mm-hmm generally the mums I work with are in the phase of pre-diagnosis or early intervention. So um, at that stage where they suspect that something might be going on with their little one, they're not Mm -hmm. sure what it is or what to do about it. So one-to-one supporter offer is for for the people in that role. Mm -hmm. And then I also have a membership community called Attuned where that's like a monthly membership program Mm -hmm. with mums in there of children who need extra support. And we cover a whole lot of topics all around supporting the well-being of our little ones and also ourselves as mums. Awesome. That sounds so I like that sounds awesome. That sounds like it would really benefit a lot of people. I'm gonna link um all of that to the episode notes of this podcast. Um so if you are interested, definitely check that out. I'll also link Jackie's Instagram page. But if you want to jump on right away, it's uh the Brave Space. So definitely give that a search and follow because like I don't know. I've been practicing for years and years and I love some of the quotes that you post, especially like I said yesterday, it really resonated to me as a psychologist. I I feel like I knew that information, but as a mom, it was a good reminder to see it again, like not in my psychologist role. (laughs) Yeah, that means so much. Thank you. Thank you so much um, for coming on today and sharing your awesome knowledge and what you do. It's awesome. It's been awesome to chat. Oh, so good. Thank you, Emily. No worries. And um, I will link everything of Jackie so you can check it out yourself. See you later, guys.